and that God's Spirit spoke to our hearts and lives. Because I realize I'm just an instrument. I'm just a voice from God. And my desire, as God knows, is that he would just speak through me. For I must decrease for the Lord to increase. Amen. And that is so important. And when we allow God to have his way among us, it's amazing how he comes and ministers, how he touches us in so many ways. And we praise God for his many, many blessings. And tonight, as we continue on the theme of reset, for those of you who have not been here with us all the other services on Sunday morning, we were challenged to ask Jesus to reset our faith, to reset our faith, to help us to live faith-fueled lives. On Sunday evening, we, we asked God to reset our plans, Amen. to enable us to go all in with God. Last night, we asked the Lord to reset our purity, to take out the garbage. Thank God, I believe there were many bags of garbage that left here last night. Amen. We laid them at the altar, and God took them away. Tonight, I want us to think about God resetting our relationship. But I want us to think of two things. What does it mean to be distinctively Christian? What does it mean to be distinctively Christian? Many people use the word Christian, but do we believe that they always understand what it means? Many people say, I'm a Christian, but does their life reflect Christianity as we understand through Jesus Christ? In here, and for us to enable to live distinctively Christian lives, then I believe there must be a distinguishing presence. Amen. There must be a distinguishing presence. Amen. And I want us to think about that. You see, Christianity claims a unique place among the world religions. Our faith tells of a God before whom the strongest saints took off their shoes, bowed down, fell on their faces, and repented in the dust and ashes. At the same time, it tells us of a God who came to it as a baby, who showed tender mercies to children and to the weak, who taught us to call him Abba, who loved us and was loved. We recognize that God is both transcendent and imminent, and the theologian says that God inspires at once a sense of awe and love and fear and friendship because he wants us to enter into his presence. Amen. I am very burdened with the need for us as believers and God's children to enter and dwell continually in God's presence. Too many Christians seem to have become spiritually dull. Too many Christians seem to have stagnated Christian lives. And without continual spiritual victory, we see as if there's no joy or purpose in their lives. And that's why, you know, Soren Kierkegaard once said that we treat worship as if the pastor, Pastor Nick, and the choirs are the actors. And the congregation is the audience. And he said, instead, God should be the audience. The pastor and the choir are the prompters. And the congregation should be the true participants. Amen. This is what he said. And that makes sense. Because authentic worship brings us into the presence of God. Amen. Didn't you feel like you were in the presence of God as we were singing that song just now? That's what authentic worship does. It is very evident that God desires us to come unto him. And we are united and invited to experience and enjoy his presence. Because God is the God of relationship. He is the God of relationship. Many people, you know, say, I, I don't believe in religion. And this religious thing, I don't believe it. And I say, I agree with you. I don't believe in religion. One person said when I said that, what do you mean by that? Aren't you a preacher? I said, yes. I don't believe in religion. I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what I have. 
It's not religion. I said, I learned early when I was going through, you know, Bible college, that religion is man's search for God. I don't have to search for God because I know God. I know he's in my life. I know he woke me up this morning. I know he put some rhythm in my soul. I know he's alive. I don't have to search for God because God is real. And I understand more and more that because of that, I can experience and have a passion for God's glory. You and I need to understand the church today needs indeed to get on fire. We need the fire to once again fall as it did in the early church. We need to see that and God says to us that in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And I know that is happening. Even though in the last days the love of many will wax cold. Even though in the last days we'll see all kinds of perils happening, wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, earthquakes, tsunamis, everything is going to happen. But keep in mind that God is saying, I will pour out my spirit. But the reality is unless you and I are in that kind of relationship with God, we will not be able to experience and encounter his Holy Spirit. And that's why I think we need to understand tonight that we have to come into fellowship with God and God wants to have fellowship with us so that we can dwell in his presence. He called Moses and the children of Israel to abide in his presence. And actually, it is the very purpose why God created us. God wants us to experience his presence. The scripture tells us here that Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not take us up from this place. Do not send us up from here. Why? Because he says, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Hmm. Think about it. Who, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of this earth? And look at God's response. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And I just love Moses' phrase. And every time, you know, I think about that, there used to be a, a movie with Cuba Gooding, I think it was, you know, when he acted as a manager of a ball player, and he began, when he saw the big contract, he began to swing. And he said, show me the money. Show me the money. Well, I tell you in the church, when we think about God's presence, we need to say like Moses, show me your glory. Show me your glory. There are a lot of Christians who have not seen the glory of God. They've never experienced God's glory. God's glory is not something to remain in the clouds. It is not something to dwell afar in certain places. My friends, when Jesus died on that cross and rose, he broke that veil. He opened the way for you and I to experience God's glory. But yet there are a lot of us who seemingly don't realize that. We allow the devil to steal our joy and to block us from receiving God's glory. And in this passage, we see that Moses understood some important things. He realized until you become desperate as a believer, you cannot experience God's glory. That's why it was like a desperate prayer that Moses made. Moses had already experienced some awesome manifestations of divine glory. You know, when we look at the word glory, glory is expressed sometimes as a devouring fire shrouded with clouds, as was on Mount Sinai, as we see. The word glory, according to Webster, could be the luminous manifestation of God's person. And it is conceived as fire. And isn't God amazing? God led this worship team to sing that song, God, a consuming fire. Consuming fire. We understand that the glory represents presence. Remember in the book of Kings and in Samuel, we read about Saul and King David and all of that. 
But you would note that there comes a word that is called Ichabod. And the word Ichabod means the glory has departed. That is what happened to King Saul when he failed to honor God, when he failed to obey what the prophet Samuel had declared to him, to wait for the, to offer the sacrifice. And like many of us, he wanted to play God. He wanted his own way. He wanted to do his own thing. He didn't want to humble himself and wait upon the Lord. And because of that, the glory of God departed from King Saul. And that's where you'll find the word Ichabod in the Hebrew. The glory has departed. And I always say, Lord, I pray none of us will ever come to that place that the glory of God will depart from us. You see, the opposite to Ichabod is Kabod in the Hebrew. And it means honor, splendor, the splendor of God's salvation. And we see David experience that because David also sought the glory of God. He was human like you and I. He had sinned like you and I. But I always am blessed when I think about David. That's why I could understand why David would say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives us of all our iniquities, who cleanses us of all unrighteousness, who heals us of all our diseases. David knew what it meant to see God's glory. That's why David also wrote, as the deer pants after the water, so my soul longs for you, O Lord. Amen. For where can I go? And just like Moses understanding that, Moses came to that place where even though he had experienced some awesome manifestations of divine glory and had learned the greatest need of the people of God is his glorious presence. Yet he still said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. That was his prayer, a desperate prayer. And I pray that God will give to every church, to all of us, my friends, a band of praying men and women who understand with Moses that nothing matters more than the glory of God. Nothing matters more than the glory of God upon his worshiping people. Amen. Such an upper room company will not be seeking bigger crowds, better music, greater offerings, or more interesting preaching. Those things will always be there. But they will be crying out first and foremost for the visitation of the Lord in his needy church. Amen. And that's why we are here for revival. We are crying out for the visitation of God upon us. Not in just some surface manner or superficial manner. The word is not superficial. The word we want is supernatural. We want to see the manifestation of God in ways that we have not understood or seen, as I've mentioned already. We need to allow God to come among us. But there must be a distinguishing presence. And more and more as I think about it, Maybe the reality is that a lot of us are still playing church. We are still playing with God. And we have not come to that place where we experience that distinguishing presence. Because what does it mean, my friends, to be distinctively Christian? Christian. One would admit, and recently I was just reading a book, and even as I was reading that book called Reset that triggered these messages, you know, it was pointed out that we're in a day and age where people cannot distinguish or differentiate who is Christian. And when I thought about that, I said, you know, that could be true. Long ago, you could say, well, you know, a person's a Christian because they lived in certain ways. They did certain things, and so on and so on. Yeah, Christians do good deeds. Hello? People in the world want Christians do good deeds. You know? And we can look at the comparison. And the question is, what must distinguish me? The truth is, today we live in a day of compromise. We have gotten so lackadaisical, you know. A story was told about the fact that Satan and, and his little, you know, fiends came together to plan for the damnation of mankind. 
And it said that Satan said to them, okay, come on, give me some plans. Give me a strategy that we will use. You know, and one by one started to get up, and one got up and said, well, I'll go and tell mankind there's no God. You know, that God didn't exist. That the whole story about Jesus Christ is not real. And Satan interrupted and said, no, 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 that would not do. Only fools believe there's no God. Next one tried to come and say, well, we could tell them there's a God, but tell them that Jesus never resurrected. That is all a myth. Satan says, no, that wouldn't work. There are people who have testified of seeing him in glory. One after another tried to come up with a reason, and Satan knocked them all down. Then the most subtle of all came forward, and he says, Master, I will go to mankind, and I will tell them that there is a God, that God is real. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. And that yes, he's coming again. But I will tell them there is plenty of time. <laughs> and Satan says, ah, that will work. Because if mankind thinks that they do not need more of God right now, we shall be successful. And you see, my friends, so many times people do not realize it. That a lot of Christians are thinking, oh, I don't have to make this a priority. What is happening in churches today? People are no longer attending churches. The other day I had a conversation with a member who said, you know, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm coming to church this Sunday morning. I said, why? Well, I have some folks who are coming to visit. I said, oh, okay, that's great. Did you tell them what time service starts? That's right. But I see a lot of Christians who say, no, I can Like one person said oh, to me, well, they don't really go to church or believe. I said, so you are giving up your belief, what you are supposed to put first. You could memorize to me Matthew 6.33, six, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. But yet, you put God second. You see, we have double standards in the church at times. And I'm not legalistic, and I'm not talking about laws. I believe in grace. But I do believe that there must be a distinguishing presence. I do believe that there must be a statement that says, yes, because I'm a Christian. You can distinguish it. You know, one of the phrases I always loved about from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was when he said, being black may mean I'm different, but not deficient. And I paraphrase it. Being a Christian may mean, not may mean, being a Christian means you are different, but not deficient. And we need to understand at times that when we come before God, we have to seek that kind of presence and live it out. In begging for the glory of God's presence, Moses asked, what else will distinguish me? (laughs) I love that. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the earth? What distinguishes you? What is the hallmark? You see, people, we don't realize that. You know, when I got saved, I was the first member of my family to get saved. I came from a very strong Roman Catholic background. All my family in Trinidad was strong into that. And then I, you know, I came to know the Lord. And so, of course, I wasn't ashamed. I went back and told my family, well, I've accepted Jesus and all of that. My sister was the closest one, you know. I had four sisters back then and one brother, you know. And the one who and I were like this says, what? You're going to be a traitor? I said, what do you mean by calling me a traitor? She said, she said, well, you're leaving the church. I said, no, 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 get it right. You know, I'm still believing in God. But the difference is now I've come to know Jesus in a relationship. It's not about ritualism. It's about a relationship. That's the difference. I said, when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a lineup saying, okay, Catholics over here, Anglicans, Methodists, Presbyterian, Nazarene, Pentecostals, Open Bible. No. There are a lot of people who have all kinds of ideas about that. You know? People give jokes about that. They say there'll be only two lines when you get to heaven. There'll be one line where it's going to have a long list of men lining up. And that's the line that says, men controlled by their wives. 
And the story says the other line had one guy standing there. And that's the line that says, men who control their wives. And all the other guys look over at him and say, what are you doing over here? And he said, I don't know. My wife told me to stand here. <laughs> you know? We will all have all kind of jokes when we think about it. But no, it's about what distinguishes us. And I said to her, going back to that story, I said, I'm sorry, you may think like that, but I have found Jesus. Well, I don't care. And we went through big debates. And I said, I have to stop drinking and, and partying and all of that. I said, my life is going to be changed. And you know, she gave me a hard time. But that gave me more fuel to live as a Christian. Because I asked God what I got said. I said, God, could you change our home and make it a Christian home? Yeah. And I praise God when our, every member of our home came to that place. My mother and my younger sister, they got baptized too. They became Nazarenes after me and all of that. And we see all God transforming that and the others. One, and she even told me one time, she said, I'll never come to your church. I said, that's all right. <laughs> but I lived out my faith. That same sister reached to the point where in, in Trinidad, as we all Trinidadians know, like to have your annual Thanksgiving. Instead of calling the priest, she called her brother to do the Thanksgiving. I never forgot the first Christmas after when we went there to gather as a family. She had a cart with the drinks and all of that. And before I could say anything, she said, oh, Junior, I have some Piedrax over here for you. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that always tells me the world is watching you and I. People don't, we don't realize this. One of the reasons why Christianity seems to be in a model today is there's too much inconsistencies. Amen. There are too many people who are living double standard lives. Amen. And they cannot say I'm distinctively Christian. Some people are afraid to stand up for their faith. But I thank God and I ask God that each one of my siblings will come to know Jesus and I give God the glory today that each one of them accepted Christ as Savior. Amen. You see, my friends, when we understand what Moses is saying here, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples of the earth? Moses knew that there is to be a marked difference between God's people and the people of the world. There has to be a marked difference for the church today and the people of the world. It's not that we are better. And God forgive us Christians if ever we walk feeling, yes, you know, we are better than them. Or, you know, some Christians walk with a chip on their shoulders. And they forget that God doesn't deal with chips. You know? He deals with crowns of righteousness. They forget that. We need to understand this, my friends, more and more. In this pivotal period in the church, in the history of the church, we need Christians who understand the need to excel in nothing less than the presence of God. Amen. Think about it. What else will deliver enslaved believers from their bondage to a secularized and sensualized culture and return them to, my friends, that New Testament holiness and power. I thank God that God came into my life. You know, I admitted one time that after preaching for the first 10 years in, as a pastor, a preacher, it was after that that I found God more and more. I had a divine encounter after that that changed my life. You see, Satan will always want us to look at ourselves and to pat ourselves on the back and put us in the comfort zone. You know? Allow us to just be settled with, yeah, that's cool enough. Imagine the church today struggles for people to serve, for people to volunteer. We, I sometimes look at some Christians, they're happy to volunteer out in the world, but not in the church. I can understand that dynamic. I don't know when we get to heaven what will happen there. You know, I always say, God alone knows. I don't know who gets to heaven. I tell people that. I'm not going to judge. That's Jesus is the one. You know, when we get to heaven, we'll have some big surprises, you know. So many people we feel who don't deserve to be in heaven, they will be in the front line. You know? Think about it. And those we thought were so godly and so holy, they might have missed the mark. You see, we need to understand 
we have to ask ourselves, what is it that we need? What else will rouse us from our carnal stupor? Start lost to a holy dread of his consuming holiness. Purge us from our filth and our fears. What else will restore us, my friends, to the joy of God's salvation? What else will set us free to worship and praise God in spirit and in truth? What else will mark God's people with a holy fire to give the gospel to this generation before it self-destructs? Think about it. I believe absolutely, absolutely nothing but a mighty manifestation of the almighty God who is a consuming fire. That's what it's going to come down to. Moses said, Lord, do not take us from this place unless your presence goes with us. Oh, I crave the presence of God day in and day out in my life. I understood it. That's why that's who I am. You know, I just, you give me an opportunity, I just love to talk about Jesus. Some people are afraid to sit with me on the plane. I love flying. I, you know, I said that the other night. And I, by the way, I should have said the other night, you know, God is so faithful. God knew I wanted to be a pilot. God knew that. And what does God do? The job I had in the Caribbean, I was flying many places. I'm always flying here. I am always in planes. And I just love it. You know, that's how good God is. I love to go up in that plane and look out on the clouds above 33,000 feet high. And say, wow, isn't God an amazing God? Isn't God an awesome God? You know? I love that. You see, you and I need to understand our God wants to transform this world. He will do it, whether you or I are on board. See, God will do it. God has always proven that he will accomplish his purpose no matter what man or woman will do. We have seen that time and time again in the history of the church. But some of us, we miss the blessing of God in our lives. Some of us fall short. Some of us, we do not realize that spiritual power and Christ-like living are inseparably bound to a vibrant life of prayer. Thank God for you prayer warriors in this church. Thank God for those who learn to pray and fast, Amen. who learn to see God. You know, as believers in the Western holiness spiritual tradition, we have a wonderful heritage. A vital part of our spiritual DNA is prayer. That's what created that holy fire. And I am saying it is impossible to conceive of a genuinely Christian-like individual living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit who is not also a person of prayer. But what do we see in the church today? You know, there was a time, Pastor Nick, when prayer meetings had the largest attendance. Today, prayer meetings have the smallest attendance. Our largest church in Cali, Colombia, Casa de Oración, means the house of prayer. That's how that church started. They just created prayer cells. God woke them up and he told them all he could do in the midst of the cartel, in the midst of the drug-infested area. What we need is prayer. And instead of just coming and doing great worship and all that, we're going to go to prayer first of all. Amen. And they created bands of prayer throughout Colombia. And God honored that. Do you realize it was while the disciples were praying that the glory of God came and the heavens were shaken? What does the scripture tell us? What do we know? Demons tremble when saints get on their knees in prayer. Amen. But we are prayerless and that's why we are powerless. We need to understand this. That distinguishing presence comes when we seek God. When we live out lives that bring glory to God. That's how revival starts. Revival is birthed in prayer, not through good preaching or preachers or nice glorious churches. No. It is through prayer. Because that's where the presence of God comes. That's where the glory comes down. And I don't know about you, but I say, God, show me your glory. 
We need the glory of God in our lives. Amen. In our churches. Amen. When the glory of God comes down, the church will get on fire. And people will be attracted to see why you burn. Always remember that. See, my friends, we will have such a love for one another that people will be amazed. We will have such a commitment to the kingdom of God that people will be impressed. That's the reality of it. And people will be looking on. You know, the story is told several years ago, a preacher from out of state accepted a call to a church in Houston, Texas. Some weeks after he arrived, he had an occasion to ride the bus from his home to the downtown area. And when he sat down, he discovered that the driver had accidentally given him a quarter too much change to say, an extra quarter of change. As he considered what to do, he thought to himself, well, you better give the quarter back. It'd be, it would be wrong to keep it. Then he thought, oh, forget it, it's only a quarter. Who would worry about this little amount? Anyway, the bus company gets too much money anyhow. Their fares are too high. They will never miss it. I should accept it as a gift from God and just keep quiet. When his stop came, he paused momentarily at the door. Then he handed a quarter to the driver and said, here, you gave me too much change. The driver, with a smile, replied, aren't you the new preacher in town? I have been thinking a lot lately about going somewhere to worship. I just wanted to see what you would do if I gave you too much change. I'll see you in church next Sunday, preacher. You see? Sometimes we don't realize it. <laughs> when the preacher stopped off the bus, he literally grabbed the nearest light pole, held on and said, Oh God, I almost sold your son for a quarter. You know? You see, my friends, distinctively Christian is not in the obvious places that we see it. It is not in that open door or part of expectation. That is an area sometimes when we don't realize it. You see, our lives are the only Bible some people will read. And that's why I said earlier, it's really scary how much people watch us as Christians and seek to put us to the test. So we always need to be on our guard and we always need to remember that we carry the name of Christ on our shoulders when we call ourselves Christian. You remember the old fad that came out, WWJD? What would Jesus do? It came and lasted, but it makes an impact. Up to this day, there are many people I still see some people with it who hold on to it. Moses said to us here, what else will distinguish me and your people? A desperate prayer, a distinguishing presence, but finally this evening, distinctively Christian also represents the fact that you and I can stand on the promises of God. Amen. Amen. There was a divine promise because the Lord said, I will do the very thing you have asked. God told Moses that. He was not to move ahead haltingly, fearfully wondering whether or not the divine presence was with him. Moses was not to operate on his own steam or savvy, but he was able to go forth in the power and of the promise of God. God has never commissioned the church for a task. And here these pastors who are here. God has never commissioned the church for a task that it can perform in human strength alone. Amen. See, when you and I want to do things in our own strength, we don't need God in that equation. And the task God calls us sometimes seems so insurmountable. Some pastors are ready to give up. They're ready to throw in the towel. But we need to come to the place and be mindful. What are we doing? Who are we serving? As believers, who do we believe in? 
We read the scripture, but do we live the scripture? Do you believe that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? Do you believe if God is for you, who can stand against you? I always say, and you'll see, if you ever get an email from me, you see the word blessings. Tina will tell you that, you know. Trudy, anybody will tell you that who gets my emails. Because you know why? I have experienced and learned that I am blessed to bless. And I believe in the blessings of God. I stand on the promises of God. And I say to God, if you call me, you are the one who are going to work through me. It's only when I want to do it for myself and get in my own way that God takes a back seat. But when you and I back, step back and say, Lord, this is your problem. Lord, you are in control. Lord, you need to have your way. Then you will see God at work. Amen. I see God at work in so many ways like that. I have learned to let go and let God. And I knew can do that because of the divine promises that we stand upon. I don't know what you are going through tonight in your own lives, in your own homes, in your own situation. But do you have a song in your heart? Do you have a promise that you can stand upon? Do you, my friends, become an individual who could testify to others who would see the grace of God in your life? See, that is what is needed today. People don't want you to come and say, hey, I'm a Christian. They'll say, okay, good for you. So what? When people see the hand of God at work in your life, oh yeah, they will want to know what you have. They want a piece of that pie. They will want to come into the presence of the Lord. We all need to realize that God wants to bless us. He has called us to a tremendous challenge, but he has also promised all that we need to accomplish his purposes. He has promised that. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your works and glorify your Father in heaven. We note in Romans 1, 21, it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. But yet we realize God calls us and reminds us in 1 Corinthians 6.20 that we are bought at a price. And therefore he says, honor God with your body, with your life. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's how we have to live. That is what will distinguish us, my friends. The question is tonight, am I really, really one who is being distinguished? Who demonstrates that? I always remember reading, and you guys will have probably read it sometime, Mahatma Gandhi. You know, Mahatma Gandhi at one time was willing to believe. He actually read the Bible. And Mahatma Gandhi was the one who said, I have no problem with the Christ of the Bible but I have a problem with his followers. Because you see, there were people who were saying they were Christians who was abusing, manipulating, and torturing the Indian people. And that is why Mahatma Gandhi had to turn away and say, no way. If that is Christianity, I don't want a part of it. But he was the one who said, I have no problem with the Christ. I could follow the Christ. Because it was from the Christ he learned civil disobedience. He understood that. That there was something distinguishing about Jesus. And I am saying the time has come when we as believers need to say to God, okay Lord, show me your glory so that I can be distinguished. So that people could realize there's something different about my life. Do you have God's glory in your life? When last did you experience a manifestation of the Spirit in your life? When last did you just sit back in a sense of holy awe and look at God? Our people, this is the day and age when we need to allow God to reset our relationships and allow God 
to give us his presence. Let us stand together as the team comes back. My question to you tonight. Can you say like Moses, Lord, do not take me from this place unless your presence goes with me. Can you say without a shadow of doubt that you believe that you have God's presence for the days ahead? I invite you tonight to come and ask God to give you his glory, to give you his presence. And as they sing this song, you know what God is saying in your heart. We believe praise the power principle. That's why every night we're going to make sure we close this service with prayer this altar. And I ask you to really look at your heart and life and think, is my life truly honoring God? My choices? Can people distinguish between a person who is in the world and me who am a Christian? Does my life really glorify God in every area, not in church? We know how to live in church. At least I hope. But out there in the world, out there where it really matters, can people see God's glory through me? So I invite you, let us come together as we say, God, we want your glory. We want your presence. Lord, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. That's what we're saying. Come among us. Hallelujah. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. <laughs> Give, Give me, me vision. Yes. To see things like That's what we're asking you. God for tonight. God, I look to you. Come on down, folks. As the Spirit leads you. Come on and see God's glory. You know just what to do. God, I look to you. Oh, yes. I won't be This is what it is all about. Give me vision. That's what we're asking the Lord. To see things like you do. Whatever your situation. As God my help comes from. Yes. Let God do a Give great work tonight. Let God bless you tonight. You know just what Let God to use do. you tonight. I will love you, Lord, my strength. Thank you, Jesus.
your power come afresh.
Aleluia. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Dr. Tina Patamber, would you come and help us further, further worship the Lord? Yes, Lord. Hear our prayers. Hear our prayers at the altar. Hear our prayers across this beautiful sanctuary, oh God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you indeed that we cannot do anything without your strength and your power. And tonight, our desire here at the altar in this place is to surrender ourselves so that we see the glory of God in our lives. The glory of God at work, the glory of God when we're driving, the glory of God when we're in simple places, oh God, because we serve a God who's extraordinary and he transcends all places and he is able and he is powerful and he is great and he is awesome. And we thank you for this word because we need that distinguishing power in our lives so that more and more people will be drawn to God through the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we thank you that this isn't just a place, this isn't just a time, this was an appointed time for us to be here tonight, to hear your word, to go deeper with our God, our Savior, our Jesus, who is awesome and powerful and great and merciful and humble, and words cannot even describe who you are, God, and we try to use words to describe what you are and who you are, but we don't even have the words, Lord, and we just come and we just say, God, you are awesome, you are holy. Our worship is not even enough. That's why the Bible says the rocks have to cry out and worship you. And so, Lord, we just pray. This is not a moment, but a moment forever. We want this permanent praise, permanent presence, permanent God in our life. We want to be moved, not just for a moment, yes. but for eternity. Amen. And I believe there are people here at this altar that have heavy burdens, oh God. And your word says, do not be anxious, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present our request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and mind. So whatever that thing is, whatever that burden is, oh God, we release it here. Knowing that God's glory is here. He will fix it. He will do it. He will resolve it. He will heal it. Thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. 